from Kirkco Media. So what you gonna do about it? This is our last show of 2019. We'll be back arguing at full speed on January 2nd. But for now, welcome to our emergency episode of Politics Meet Me in the Middle, the impeachment show. This is a selfish thing because I personally want all of us to have some authority and knowledge to lead dinner table conversations with our friends. Almost no one is shy of emotions or political opinions these days, but that's not what we're here for, at least initially. And with me, we've brought back some of our favorite guests. Of course, we start with our Pulitzer Prize-winning historian, author, professor, and worldwide lecturer, Ed Larson. How you doing, Ed? Nice to see you again. I'm doing great. We've also brought back Ed Warren, who was among Washington, D.C.'s most influential Supreme Court attorneys, with decades of experience as one of Washington's most insider-influential Supreme Court litigators with Kirkland & Ellis, where he has been of counsel since 2005. And to round us out, we have Jane Albrecht back, an international trade attorney who represented U.S. interests in Washington, D.C., Europe, Russia, and beyond. She's worked with high-level government officials in many countries, and she's been involved with several presidential campaigns. And in full disclosure, she's also president of the local Democratic Club. Ed's Let's start, please, with a clear description of the genesis of Congress's right and rules for impeachment. The convention, the delegates in Philadelphia, spent more time crafting the presidency than on any other issue. The president was like a prime minister, picked by Congress and and, uh, removable by Congress. Then it evolved into the powerful presidency, the almost king-like presidency that we ended up with. And when they moved to that sort of presidency, an independently selected presidency, they realized that impeachment powers were necessary because that's where it differed from England. In England, you could impeach any officer other than the king and royalty. And they realized we needed to be able to impeach the monarch. So, Ed Warren, uh, tell us about the writings for impeachment and what type of guide we have for that process. When the... Uh, Constitution was uh, ratified, there was concern. We were right in the middle of the French Revolution or that was about to happen, and there was fear that either England or France would be able to control what was going on uh, in the United States and that the executive could be a pawn of either one of those two great powers. And so I think historically that's the context. So it was more about protecting our country from foreign engagement than it was protecting us from a rogue president? They, They talked about both at Philadelphia. But just as Ed said, the main thing they talked about was foreign influence in our election or basically bribing an existing a leader, And that had happened. They had the one great example of that in Charles II, who was getting directly paid by the French government during his term of office and uh, changing their position on the Netherlands, on their alliance with the Netherlands, solely in response to direct payment by the French government. And that was absolutely scandalous. And that issue, more than anything, drove this push that we have to have the impeachment power. My recollection, but again, you're... Uh, have delved in this much deeper was that when they went with the concept of a president as opposed to something like a prime minister, they weren't trying to create a monarch. In fact, they were very careful that they did not want to create a monarch. 
And so some of these protections came in precisely because of that. You're absolutely right, because one thing that characterizes a monarch is a monarch is the law. There's no such thing as a monarch being above the law. The monarch is the law. The monarch cannot break the law. That was an important point. But impeachment is something different because impeachment is not just whether you break the law. Impeachment was holding a president accountable. This debate went on for a long time, and there were arguments to make it much more pervasive, more broadly defined than it ends up in, in, the, in the actual terms in the Constitution. Well, they do broaden it a little bit by adding treason and bribery. You can impeach for treason and bribery and high crimes and misdemeanor. They were afraid particularly of treason and bribery. Treason is directly working with at times of war or in opposition, when you're dealing with a foreign adversary, the, the classic example of the time would have been that they all knew would have been Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold selling out West Point for money to the British. That was treason because we were at okay, war but with that, England. That's but a very you have obvious. to be at war. Let's take the example of the Steele dossier, yeah, where the argument, at least in its most extreme form, was that Donald Trump was essentially an agent of the Russian government because he was compromised and was going to be unable to act in the national interest. I mean, at some extreme, uh, that would qualify, it seems to me, as treason. High crimes and misdemeanors is the vague part of, of the uh, impeachment criteria. Bribery, because it stands out, does pose the question of what is bribery and, for example, the Supreme Court's recent decision with the Virginia governor in the O'Donnell case suggests that bribery is pretty doggone hard to prove. So Crimes just and, if you do this, I'll give you that is not enough to— I don't think so. I can't help it. I didn't want to get right into our current day situation, but it seems like we have to. Uh, so in this case, where the primary subject at hand is the concept of bribery— where a delay, at least, in about $400 million in aid was presented simultaneously with the concept of, would you do me a favor? Do you see that rising to the level of a bribe? I guess my reaction is this. The president has authority in foreign affairs, which is his authority under the executive powers. And deals are constantly being made in foreign affairs with a quid pro quo. Quid pro quo is hardly a um, novel idea. I mean, we heard uh, uh, President Obama speaking to Medvedev uh, off mic saying, hey, leave me alone till after the election and then we can do business. Now, I mean, what could be more clear than the trade there? It's n I don't find it nefarious or bad in any respect, but I think there's lots and lots of trades that go on all the time. There's a significant difference. No, there is a difference. And I'm the saying. difference is when you're negotiating on behalf of U.S. interests, which I've done, um, you're advocating for U.S. interests. It's quite a different thing when you're advocating for your own personal gain, but which I, is what was involved I, here. I think you're right, but I think whenever uh, – I mean, let's, let's don't treat presidents or anybody who's negotiating in foreign affairs as some kind of pristine f folks that don't ever consider their private – uh, and personal and political interests, because I think that's common. Uh, and I don't so, think you should, should assume I, that. 
Well, um, I, I've been involved in trade negotiations, and I didn't see anything like that. Well, I mean, today we see the president negotiating with China, and it would seem to me that he's always got in the back of his mind uh, exactly what's going to happen in the next election. I think it's very interesting that when he admitted to this phone call with Ukraine, he publicly invited China to look into Hunter Biden as well. And a week later, there was an interim agreement announced. If Trump were to ask Xi Jinping to do a favor like that, Xi Jinping would be happy to do it, but you better believe he will exact a price. And it could be in terms of uh, position of the United States and the South China Sea, geopolitical interests were very important, or trade concessions, which would never come out. So it's very important that that president or anyone else negotiating on behalf of the but, United but States how, is advocating for the U.S. But, and not their but, own but personal I, interests. I, I, think, I think presidents always have their personal interest in mind, and that's part of deals that are made on any kind of uh, relation, foreign affairs, uh, trade negotiations, uh, all these sorts of things. The, the thing about Trump, what he's so flat-footed and, and does things in such a clumsy way that he opens himself up for uh, essentially open-ended and wild charges that other presidents could carry out without uh, difficulties. And it's normal when a president is negotiating with a foreign power. Yes, they may take positions that they believe are good for them and their party, but it's quite a different thing when they're negotiating for their own personal gain, and that is not normal. But just so that we can, we can hold on to the goals of this particular conversation, um, I, I would venture that a lot of what you're talking about is absolutely correct, but it's about whether or not you allow that president to continue for a second term as opposed to you have the authority and obligation to impeach that president. Here we have a single issue of, I will release $400 million if you do me this favor. I'm not sure whether or not that's an impeachable offense. I'm, and not, I'm sure not sure. That, I'm not sure. I have problems with the facts, wholly apart from uh, the, 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 the question of whether it's an impeachable offense if you concede all the facts. There are people with firsthand knowledge, people that talk to the president every day. And if you're going to try to impeach a president on this basis, you've got to get that evidence out and, and you've got to impeach on that basis. If it doesn't technically meet the criteria of bribery, depending upon what statue they pick, it's what he did with the Ukraine is a high crime and misdemeanor. We can argue about whether there's right now sufficient evidence. I personally believe there is. The four legal experts or three of the legal experts agreed with that. But then when you get down to the fact, well, you should have, you should be talking to Pompeo and Barr and Mike and Mick Mulvaney and others and the president, whatever. But if they simply refuse to think, to me, that is, in this context, that is absolutely obstruction of Congress. And that's another grounds for impeachment. The, pre the president doesn't have the right, just as Ed pointed out, this is not an imperial presidency. This is not a monarch. He may be, he's a terrible guy, but the best way to get rid of him is to, is to vote him out of office. And I think if you look at previous impeachments, like Ed says, you got to get all that evidence out there in order to do it rather than doing it on a, on a uh, record that's created uh, by the House Intelligence Committee. And when there are firsthand knowledge 
witnesses from the, the heart of the administration who ought to be testifying. And ought, I'd like, I agree they should be testifying. At the end of the day, what is the true goal of this impeachment process if there's absolutely no chance of a conviction in the Senate? I think there's a pretty good argument that uh, you get an acquittal in the Senate and you might have a couple of Democratic votes to go acquittal in the Senate. And then uh, Trump is going to be able to say, they did it again, you know, they made all this storm and I am uh, innocent once again. If the Democrats make it very clear that this acquittal is on party lines and has nothing to do with the fact that he's impeachable or not. I believe that the American public is smart enough to understand. I, I think there's, so. there's 35, 40, 45 percent of the people that certainly will agree with that because they're, they're, they, they've hated Trump from day one. They want to get rid of him from day one. So they're, gonna, they're certainly going to accept that line. The question is, what happens to the people if we have 40 percent, 40 percent, and 20 percent in the middle? What are people in the middle going to do? And I, I guess my feeling is that if played correctly, it could really redound to the benefits of Republicans. I don't know. I don't think they want to do this. And I, I think uh, they see some risks in doing it. I think both sides see a potential upside and a potential downside. I think what Ed's saying is right. This could redound to the Republicans, but it could be like the Clinton impeachment. And the Clinton impeachment actually hurt the Democrats a lot. It's hard to see, in my opinion, Al Gore losing, but for the fact that the Clinton impeachment. If it goes to trial, remember that the Republicans and Mitch McConnell control the Senate and will control the trial, and they will make this a total show to their advantage. You know, well, including, which as the you Democrats said, have so right. far. Putting, but we might, we might. Yeah, do uh, but he'll do it. He'll, he, Mitch is shrewd and savvy, yeah, and yes. he will do it very well. Well, and but shameless. the one thing we might might add into the mix here is John Roberts is going to be running the show too, and it's not clear to me uh, how John is going to play this. I mean, he is he is nothing but a. Uh, institutional guy, and he is not going to want to look like he's a pawn of Mitch McConnell. He no, just but I don't not. think he would. He he will do certain things. I don't think he can stop them from doing other things. And well, I well, that's think, in terms of calling witnesses, yes. But you know, t but just take the hearsay testimony would be one example. My guess is that even though I don't think that testimony should be allowed in a trial because it's hearsay. Uh, I think he probably would let it in. I mean, I think so. I think they will be able to build their case, the same case they've built so far with 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 Robert. Now, maybe I'm wrong. If it did go to a Senate trial, to what degree could the administration continue to stonewall and not let any of those people? If the Senate subpoenas Pompeo and Barr and whatever, um, it may go to the Supreme Court and it may drag out. And that means this goes through the elections. They won't subpoena them. I don't think they're going to subpoena them. That seems to be. So that then, seems then to they, be the, it makes it hard for them to say they care about more facts and right. then not that, subpoena them. That's the problem. Because I mean, it, to me, those facts are the key facts, and that you know, however much you think you think these foreign affairs people and the uh, foreign service people are fine people, which I do too, uh, they don't make foreign policy, and they were working on a on a. a presumption that all these bad things were happening. Well, if they were happening, the guys that know about it are John Bolton and, and uh, Pompeo and... Uh, and I understand what you're talking about, that, and, and I don't think there's anyone 
in the House that doesn't understand this, that this is not about a difference in foreign policy. And I will say this, it gave me great hope for this nation when I saw the testimony of the, the ambassadors and, and the Foreign Service professionals, because they had the strength of character, the knowledge, the commitment to doing it right, uh, that has made this country great, actually. And it gave me hope that that is still there, despite the current administration. Um, but uh, this is not about, uh, and I also understand what you mean when you talk about, you know, the State Department process can, and the people can get jealous of, uh, of administration and they don't agree with the policy, but that's not, they, they knew what was going on and it wasn't all secondhand. And there's no question that Gordon Sunland and others didn't make up this criteria. This came from the president, and there's plenty of direct evidence on that count. I I think I'm going to have to cut us off right now because we got to take a break. Um, We'll be back in in 30 seconds, I promise. Hi, I'm Robert Ross, host of Cars That Matter. You might be wondering what makes a car matter, and I have a feeling you already know the answer. Some cars have changed history. Some you can hear a mile away. Some have lines that make your heart skip a beat. If a car has ever made you look twice, then I think you know the ones that matter. Join me as I speak with designers, collectors, and market experts about the passions that drive us and the passions we drive. Cars That Matter, wherever you get your podcasts. Which president since Nixon has not been subject to the other party looking for impeachment material? There are no no examples of that. I mean, uh, I, there's always a fringe, and this, I think, would distinguish what's going on now. There's always been a fringe that said, we're going to impeach this person, we're going to impeach Earl Warren, we're going to impeach. You know, going back as far as we can remember, uh, there's been a fringe that wanted to impeach a president because of differences of opinion or whatever. So I think it's common. I think that's one of the big problems, though, is that I just think there has to be a very high bar for impeachment because otherwise we're going to turn it into uh, uh, a politicization which can result in effective coups and to turn over leadership on that basis. In answer to your question, I would say that with both Herbert Walker Bush and um, also with Obama, you never had truly serious, certainly you had some partisans talking impeachment, but you never had anything that would suggest impeachment. Reagan would, would, would not fit that because Iran-Contra, there was serious discussion, but then they realized it's so late in his term and how connected was he, and there was a lot of reasons not going forward. I don't think there was any serious talk of impeachment with Jimmy Carter either. People may have disagreed with him. So I think you do have ex- uh, examples. Reagan would probably be, Reagan and Clinton would be the two clearest examples of when impeachment became really viable. And then if you go before that, it really had never happened. As, an, as a tool, Johnson. not an insurance policy. I think, I, think right. the, I think the question then has to be, though, how significant was the Nixon impeachment as setting a precedent? Because we, this is now the third since uh, 1973, 74. And uh, I, I think it's not a good thing, especially when we're on the eve of election. I mean, if this guy is so, what's going to happen if they, if let's just say for a minute that Trump does get impeached, 
what do you think that 45% of the electorate or 43 or 40, whatever it is, is going to think if, if Trump is thrown out of office? I mean, you're, you're asking for a practical revolution by people who feel so strongly about it. The best way to get rid of this guy is to vote him out of office if you don't like him. I would agree that that's a good practical issue to raise up, and I have the exact same worry and fear. I'm having to think, though, that, that what the Democrats are thinking is that this would finally focus the issue, not that they were going to remove him, but it would focus the issue and serve as a lead-in to the political campaign. Also, I think they had a hope that by bringing an impeachment hearing, they would have better effect of subpoena witnesses and documents. It turned out it wasn't true, but that they would have better grounds for, for getting information and getting it before the public. But I don't think anyone ever thought it would lead to removal, because if it did, it would raise, I believe, precisely the dangers that Ed Warren is talking about. You know, I think you really have to look at really underneath it all, what is the impeachment about? In Nixon's case, it was about breaking into a party headquarters and and Actually, it was about a, a cover-up. And the cover-up cover was... cover that followed. I'm saying what's really underneath it all. It was, very it, was, it was very serious in terms of our democratic process. It should have been taken seriously, and I don't care whether the president was Republican or Democrat. Um, when you, in Clinton, it was largely, it was very political, and we don't have time to go into all the, the details of that, but it essentially it was, you know, you had the star investigation, and we can have a whole other podcast on that. Well, God forbid we go back to the Kennedy administration right, and have the same right. conversation. But again, <laughs> with Trump, and and there right. was talk at the time and, and among Republicans that were involved that this this was still, they resented what happened with Nixon, and this was a certain element of we're going to get you back. And that's no reason to impeach. But again, I'm talking at this point not as a Democrat or Republican, just looking at what impeachment is for and, and how important it is to keep the integrity of our system. And when you look at what's involved here, um, I, I think it's very important for the integrity of our country and our system. You have a president who even his own attorneys have basically said is a pathological liar. You've got a president who's shown a pattern of corruption, a pattern of obstruction of justice. And at what point do you have to say, like it or not, we've got to draw a line? And well, I, I, I understand the, what the, everybody... When you go to the polls. Yeah, That's I right. agree. I agree that yeah. I do believe the ultimate uh, thing to do is to vote him out of office. I think that's the best thing to do. There was obviously much discussion and debate within the Democratic Party whether they wanted to go forward in impeachment. For me personally, I would have liked to have seen a, a process where they investigated many, many, many of his unethical, corrupt practices, abuse of power you know, including the holding the G7 at the Doral. But I'm not in Washington making those decisions. So ideally, I would have liked to have seen this gone on beyond the next election. And then if, if he didn't get voted out of office... Oh, but he got voted practice. into office with mm -hmm. people knowing that he was a bad actor. Well, so, this is what I've always said. I've always said the problem but, is So you Trump. can't impeach him for that. He, you, no. we, we knew who he was. You can't we voted him. him in. He lied during the campaign. He, he made being, up a bunch of stuff. He's not being impeached for lying. But I've always well, said I'd like the, to the impeach problem. him for embarrassing us. But that's a, <laughs> no, it's a whole different question. I've always said the, the real problem we're having is not Trump. It's the fact that 63 million 
Americans voted for him and find, so, found now, this acceptable. The way to solve that problem, though, is with another election. I think I mean, that's important, too. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it you can't disenfranchise this 40%, 45% by essentially removing the guy from office without creating a huge mess. Well, but I don't the, think that this really is about... That's the, anyway, that's the administration but, talking point. This isn't about the Democrats overruling the election. This is about corruption and the integrity of well, our government. I, I, I think the question there is, you know... Apart from the fact that he is a terribly clumsy guy that does a lot of stupid things like the Doral thing is a perfect example, what he could have done is say, oh, you know, I'm concerned about uh, corruption because there's certainly a long cess- cesspool history of corruption in Ukraine. And I'm reluctant to turn over lethal weapons to Ukraine uh, until we have real assurance that this is not going to be a repetitive process. And he can just stop at that. You're apologizing him because he's he's clumsy. I think there's more going on here than just clumsiness. If we go back to the founders, when they created the impeachment provision, other than the other possible things a person could do, Alexander Hamilton specifically said that one area why we needed the impeachment is we could find out after the election that the election itself was corrupt, that the president did something, directly worked with a foreign power or did other corrupt things to get elected. And so the election itself was fraudulent. But he said the reason why we need this, one reason we need this, is we find out the prior election was corrupt. Now, if it was found out that Trump was actively conspiring with Russia during the election for the release of Hillary Clinton tapes and getting them. That would be a classic example fitting Hamilton's definition. I mean, there's no doubt, it seems to me, I, don't, I think we're all in agreement that if the worst readings of the Steele document and the allegations that were being made against Trump early on in the administration turned out to be true, that that would be an impeachable offense. I don't think there's any question about that. But that didn't turn out to be the case, and I think that adds to the suspicion that this is just a convenient uh, makeover when we couldn't prove the case that really everybody would agree is an impeachable offense. We have this unique situation that is so clearly divided on partisan lines. And one of the reasons for it is that the Republicans are unprepared. There is no Republican candidate that's prepared to come in and take over in the event that Trump goes away. And let's not forget how the Republicans initially felt about him running in the first place. But he's now put himself in a position of the ultimate power because there is no other Republican alternative that is set for an election. So the Republican Party, all of the Republicans in the Senate are sitting there and saying, we will completely lose power completely. And many of them will get voted out of office and they will have nothing to say about how this country is governed in the event that they lose this particular president that's put himself in a position of being the only solution for the Republican Party. It's a unique place that we're in. Right. Republicans Republicans in the Senate and even in the House don't have any choice because then there could be a landslide uh, for Democrats if they if they pushed him out. I would refine what you said, Bill. Trump has has taken over the Republican Party. No small part because there's not a lot of backbone in it, but also because he's a very effective fundraiser. 
Uh, he's got his base, and the base is very active and he's a very effective fundraiser. So they are very worried about getting primaried if they don't right. kiss up to Trump. Too. I don't think Trump has many friends in on Capitol Hill. He's not the kind that sort of generates real friends. So they will turn on him the minute it, it's, it suits their purposes. But they are so loyal to him because he's tremendously powerful. He's taken over the Republican Party. He's a phenomenal fundraiser. And he, they will, they will be attacked if if they don't fall in line. If he's reelected, how much they turn on him will depend upon what happens after that. It could be as he will still be a primary fundraiser, and um, I agree powerful. with that. But they've got to find new candidates. They're going to have to. Some people are going to have to stand up and be counted. So my hope that this session would turn into a very clear message to our listeners of. What is an impeachable act? What is uh, this case, obstruction of Congress, bribery, abuse of power? Um, And is there a direct answer to the question of if it were provable that these actions rose to that level, um, then is this a impeachable offense? And I think you've all said yes, if it were provable. Um, that this is an impeachable offense. Is I think that correct? Tur- Turley's basically got it right. It seems to me, if you could, if you could prove all these things, then you got a pretty good argument. I think none of us have had the time to read the the Intelligence Committee's report, but based on what I've been able to watch, none of us can watch all of it um, and and listen to. I think there's there's plenty of evidence for an impeachable offense. It's not what they're going to do, I believe. But one way out of this by the Democrats that they could still pull off would say, all right, we need this further evidence. We are going to push these subpoenas. We're going to push this testimony all the way to the Supreme Court. We're going to try to get a ruling and we're going to wait and do anything until that happens, knowing full well that that will preclude them from actually acting but keep the matter alive. That would be one way out, but I don't think they're going to take that out. I don't either. I don't either. I don't think uh, Nancy would have said draw up articles of impeachment. She's already canvassed her, yeah, her caucus. I agree with that, too. If the Founding Fathers were here at the table and we asked them about this action that Trump has apparently taken in Ukraine, what would they say about that action and would they call that impeachable? The men who who founded our country were truly extraordinary. And I'm not saying that with, ro- with rosy glasses on. They were real men and they were very hot fights. But they were extraordinary in terms of their abilities. And I think they understood the importance of the integrity of our government for it to work right. One thing I've learned working with governments from many countries in different systems, lack of integrity if you have any system, communist, dictatorship, or democracy, if you do not have a system with integrity, it will not work. And they understood what it took to make a government work. If truly Trump or Trump's organization had directly worked with the Russians or with WikiLinks to get these emails and then time their release to bury the um, the tape he gave where he talked about uh, abusing women, if he had done that, then the founders would have thought that was. I'm not uh, as yeah. sure about this one. I mean, we can concoct easily facts. That's exactly what you're doing. That's exactly what I'm doing, where it would be clear-cut, I think. 
But I don't think these facts personally rise to that level. But that doesn't mean that I disagree with what you're saying about integrity and and, uh, how important it is in our government. There's that word, integrity in government. We're going to leave that right there. And I'm going to thank the two Eds that are better than one, uh, Ed Larson and, of course, Ed Warren. Thank you both for coming in. Uh, And, Jane, it is always a pleasure having you here. And I hope you'll all come back in a few weeks because this is going to the Senate and we're going to have plenty to talk about. And hopefully you'll come back and we'll have another emergency episode of The Impeachment Show, Politics, Meet Me in the Middle. Thanks so much for coming. So we're going to take the holidays off to hug our friends and family, but we'll be right back on January 2nd with our Supreme Court attorney, Ed Warren, and we'll be talking Roe versus Wade. Turns out that he's a friend of Brett Kavanaugh's. So this should be another thriller of a fight. See you then. If you like what you heard, please help us by telling your friends. And of course, subscribe to Politics Meet Me in the Middle. And if you have time, please leave a review. It really matters to us. You can also check us out at kurtco.com, C-U-R-T-C-O.com. This episode of Meet Me in the Middle was recorded at Kurtco Media's Malibu Podcast Studios and was produced and edited by Mike Thomas. Audio engineering was by Michael Kennedy. And our theme music was composed and performed by Celeste and Eric Dick. It will be okay. From Kirkco Media. Media for your mind.